It's a, a real privilege to be gathering on one of the most sacred days for us as a nation as we remember those who gave so much to keep us free. And as we come to look at the central call in this passage from 1 Peter, there's an extraordinary parallel. Because as we will see, Peter calls us to do the right thing, whatever the cost. And a hundred years ago, 70 years ago, today still, many make that sacrifice. I hope that today you have a moment to remember those in your own family whose lives were cut short. Good, have the mic, have it. In my own family, it was um, Ben, my great uncle Ben, who was uh, brought up in Netherthong near uh, Huddersfield. He was a weaver in the local mill. He had a, you know, very settled life. He went to the United Methodist Church. There was also a Wesleyan Methodist Church. Church division and multiplication is no new thing. And he went out to the Somme with his brother Luther. They were caught in a shell hole as dusk was falling. Being brought up in the chapel tradition, they sang some of the old hymns, including Now the Day is Over. Luther got out to fetch some water. And just after he left, a shell landed directly upon my Uncle Ben. And I often reflect on that life cut short at the age of 24, the same as many, I think, of those who are present today. And think of all that he lost for our tomorrows, as it was written, they gave our today. And as we look back at the history of Christendom, there are forebears who also gave everything in order that we might have the freedom to gather around the Lord's table today. Peter, the Apostle Peter, was writing to one of those crowds. He was talking to the Christians who had been dispersed throughout, throughout what was now Asia Minor, what is now Turkey, by the most terrible persecution, writing around AD 64. He was writing right in the middle of uh, the reign of Nero. And it is difficult to even contemplate the depth of the persecution that they faced. This is the Circus Maximus in Rome. And if you look closely, you can see not just Christians being fed to lions, but used as human torches. This is the famous Jerome painting from the, last, from the 19th century, entitled Their Last Prayer. 
And I draw enormous inspiration from the courage of Christians then and Christians now in countries like North Korea, where many still pay the ultimate price for confessing Jesus Christ as Savior and as Lord. So Peter was writing to people facing terrible persecution who must have felt that everything was against them. We can feel today that society and the world is somehow moving against us, but nothing like what they faced in the Roman, Emperor, in the Roman Empire on De Niro. So in this series on life in the world, in this series on life in the world, we are looking at a series of key exaltations which are central to this letter from Peter. First, hope. And there are some passages which speak so powerfully from one Peter to say to these people who are so discouraged, you may be elect, you may be exiles, you may be scattered, but you have been chosen. You have a new birth into a living hope through Christ. It may seem that the world is completely falling apart, but you have a hope which can never perish, which can never spoil, which can never fade, kept in heaven for you, shielded by God's power. And though you go through these trials, you will find that your faith is burnished like gold. And it brings honor to God. Your courage brings honor to God. And amidst all of this, there is the promise, the extraordinary promise of expressible, inexpressible, and glorious joy. So be hopeful, be set apart, be holy. Do not conform. The pressure to conform to the injunction to pay homage to the emperor when there was a lion waiting for you must have been massive. How inconsequential in comparison is the fear of, oh, people might think I'm a bit odd or a bit bigoted or a bit old-fashioned or whatever if I confess faith in Jesus Christ today. Be set apart. Be holy in all you do, because I am holy. And love one another deeply from the heart. A theme that we will see developed as we move towards our passage today. So be hopeful, be holy, and recognize that although we're called to change this world, we are in a very real sense a community moving through it. You are a 
chosen people, a royal priesthood, God's special possession, called out of darkness into wonderful light and seen as foreigners and exiles, paralleling what Jesus says in John chapter 17. I do not pray that you should take my disciples out of this world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They're not of the world, just as I am not of this world. So a recognition that we have a different perspective on the world around us. We are passing through. This is a transient stage. And amidst all of this, when people are trying to trip us up as being troublemakers, as they did when they blamed the Christians for the fire of Rome, a a call to honour those uh, in society and to honour its structures. That wonderful parallel which, uh, you know, submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every authority. Live as free people and yet choose to feel to, to live as God's slaves. In other words, in service of others, choose to be free. Know that you're free, but choose to serve others because of the witness that this will have and the way in which it will change this world. I think it's Ali who very clearly brought out that, um, uh, that uh, dichotomy alongside what Paul said last week about holding that dichotomy together. So as we come to today's passage, the call is to... It was originally, it was thinking it was like down as suffering. But the main call, as we will see, is to do the right thing. And if it involves suffering, then so be it, because we have a different perspective. I'm going to read the passage, and then uh, let's dig into various parts of it. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing." For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil." Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ, may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, was made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah, when the ark was being built. 
In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic. Um, sorry, we've had that phrase now. And that's the end of the passage. I want to pick a few, a few parts out of this. First, the call to have that extraordinary depth of love, love one another. By this, it's, Jesus says in John 13, 35, you will be known an extraordinary depth of love which will mark us as being different as we go through this world. Deep compassion and humility, which is not a sense of, you know, going around the place feeling, oh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm nothing, I'm nobody and whatever, but more recognizing that, as it says in, uh, in Ephesians, uh, Ephesians 2, 6, that, we ha that God raised us from death and seated us together with him in the heavenly places. In other words, we in Christ have the most enormous authority, but not in our own right. And it is that proper sense of the authority that we have in Christ which is so key. Secondly, <clears throat> this countercultural call to repay evil with blessing, which, which echoes what Paul writes in Romans 12. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. In other words, you will make him feel so uncomfortable, so amazed at your overwhelming love, that his animosity will be blunted and turned in on itself. Secondly, guard the tongue. Whoever would love life, this is an extract from Psalm 34 quoted by Peter, the Apostle Peter, whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. Again, echoed in Hebrews 4, the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And the Greek and Hebrew for two-edged is two-mouthed. In other words, there's a parallel between the power to do good and bad of what we say. And perhaps we can invite the Lord tonight to ask us. You know, deceitful speech is anything which leaves the listener with an impression which is incorrect. So it isn't just telling lies, it can be leaving uncorrected that which is untrue or failing to tell the whole and open truth. And then this call to seek peace. Ken spoke really powerfully this morning of the call inherent in this to be at peace with ourselves, at peace with each other, and to be peacemakers in the world. 
We may not be able to solve the Israel-Hamas problem in our own right, but there are conflicts within our families, within our workplaces, within our context, wherever we are, where you think, actually, where can I make that difference? Where can I be that peacemaker? And there's a warning here. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Not sure that's the microphone or fireworks. But um, the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. We speak a lot in this church of God's grace. And that is completely unearned and completely limitless. But God looks on the heart. And if there is within us complete resistance, if there is within us unconfessed sin, if there are areas of our lives, that which we do and that which we think, which we know are wrong in God's eyes, then we are called, as it puts in Ephesians chapter 3, repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. Have we truly turned? Or is there tonight something, a pattern of thought, a pattern of behavior, which we know is damaging and wrong, but which we have failed to surrender to God and which he is calling us to give tonight? And then there is this call to courage, to say, you know, there is a cost to doing these things. But who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? Now, in one sense, of course, there was physical harm. There were lions and there were torches and there was all that they faced in that context. But there is a promise of eternal safety. I am convinced, writes Paul in Romans 8, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, nor any powers, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. And then these three statements to encourage us in our courage. If you suffer for what is right, you will be blessed. And Jesus said this repeatedly in Matthew 5. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil because of me. Um, you, and then you, you will be hated by all because of my name. But it is the one who endured to the end who will be, who endures to the end, who will be saved. And then Peter quotes from Isaiah, do not fear their threats, do not be frightened. And that passage can be translated, do not fear what they fear, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. In other words, this world is driven by fear. There are so many things that make us anxious, aren't there? Which we focus on. People worry about reputation and, you know, who's getting ahead at work and this and that and where you live and all, all sorts of things worry and make us fret in this world. 
But we are not of this world. We are called to have a different perspective, knowing that this life is but a momentary transition through which we pass. And we're called to revere Christ above all and to have our eyes on him. And in that context, then our fears in this world melt away. As John puts it in chapter 4, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. There's this call to what we call good apologetics, a willingness to, in a, in a calm and gentle way, when people are being drawn by the Spirit to faith, to help them get over the questions that they will have. And if you feel that you can't help people to, you know, if they ask about, well, does science abolish God? Is there, um, you know, why is there suffering in the world? All these different kinds of questions. If you feel, well, I would struggle to help people to answer these, then just as in the workplace, you focus and we learn so that we can address the issues which are raised. Similarly, we are called to make sure that um, we do two things. Firstly, we say the difference that Jesus has made in our lives, because that is authentic and nobody can argue with the difference that it has made to us. But secondly, to take time and effort, and this is where the big questions events, which Nico has initiated, have been so helpful, to marshal the arguments so that you can help people who are caught on the barbed wire of their own objections to faith. And then to remember that we have, of course, a suffering God. Christ suffers. We have, as Tom Price said when he last visited us, we have a God with scars. Jesus wept. Jesus wept at the death of Lazarus. We have a suffering God who is with us, who is for us, who will bring us ultimately through all things. And finally, who gives us victory. For Jesus is with angels and authorities and powers in submission to him. And if the powers that we fear, whether it's the powers of the state or the powers at work or what the papers may say or, you know, or if it's sort of the, the power of evil in this world, all of these powers are now subject to Christ. In Christ, we have the victory over them. And if we cling to him and accept the power of the Holy Spirit, then we need fear nothing. So, what does this all mean for us in the day-to-day world? Go deep together in love, compassion, and humility. Be countercultural. Repay evil with blessing. Speak beautiful words with sincerity and integrity. Seek peace. Be a peacemaker. Pursue it relentlessly. Be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you with gentleness and respect. And be courageous. Confront and repent of areas of disobedience in our lives. Uh, Remember that Christ is with us. We are safe in his hands for all eternity. Hold on to the God 
who holds on to you. And have a heavenly perspective. Don't fear man, revere Christ. For victory is ours. Those who died a century ago and more. One of those, John McRae, wrote this. To you from failing hands we throw the torch. Be yours to hold it high. If ye break faith with us who die, we shall not sleep though poppies grow in Flanders field. Well, those who toss the torch to us are those who died and who continue to die for their faith. It is not just those of the first century. It is the martyrs of the Reformation. It is those who down the years and across this world have chosen the courageous path rather than the easy path, have lived with courage in a world turned against them, knowing that in Christ we have the victory and in Christ we will prevail. Let's pray and invite God to help us in these things. Come, Holy Spirit, and help us pray. Lord, help us to go deep in love. Fill our hearts with compassion. Lord, give us that sense of humility, knowing who we are in Christ, the authority we have in Christ, but knowing that we depend totally on you. We pray for those who are our enemies in so many different ways, those who would wish, wish us ill. And Lord, we pray that you will help us to be countercultural, to be so confident in our faith that we can bless them. We pray, Lord, now for your anointing on our words, for the gift of beautiful speech, for honesty and integrity in all we say. We ask for the gift of peacemaking. Lead us, Lord, to where there is tension and trouble and misunderstanding. And Lord, help us to bring peace and reconciliation. Lord, equip us, we pray. Bring people to us through your spirit and give us words that we may lead them gently to faith with you. And Lord, make us brave. Make us brave in confronting those areas of our lives and of our thought lives which we know are wrong. Lord, we turn away from them now. Forgive us, we pray. Lord, make us brave, knowing that you are with us for all eternity. Lord, help us to hold on to you as you hold on to us. Help us to revere you, not to fear this world. And Lord, help us to be courageous and to share in your victory over sin and death that we may build your kingdom here, that we may see life after life transformed, that we may be leaders, not followers, and that this world that we love may one day turn to you as Saviour and as Lord. Amen. <laughs>